for imitation him. We were not. We want that. And then if it's convenient, we stand and sing together hymn number 404. 404. What can we do? Looking to thee from day to day, trusting thy grace along the way, knowing that thou wilt safely keep all that is thine. Sure of thy soul-redeeming love, sure of a crown of life above, singing thy grace, thy grace above, Savior divine. Looking to thee,
This I say therefore, and testify in the Lord, that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk, in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which I corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Excellent job, Aaron. Excellent job. I think you read it better than I can, brother. Good job today. I am created. You recall last week we began in Genesis by talking about our creation in God. He made us all. He fashioned us all. In fact, one might even say in Genesis 2-7 that he got his hands dirty because it says the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground. And, and the language there carries the idea of reaching down and shaping and molding and fashioning. Man is uniquely created in the image of God. And Paul makes the argument that because of man's uniqueness in creation, it is a testimony that God is, that he existed. And if he is and if he existed, if we're created in him, then we owe allegiance to him. Acts 17, we discussed that beginning at verse 22 and continuing on for the next several. Of course, that's the same conclusion that the writer long ago, Solomon, that wise man, though not always applying the wisdom, he had it, wrote when he said that this is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole of man. Mankind created in the image of God has a responsibility to God. Whether he recognizes it or not, he has a responsibility to him. Now, I assume because you're here this morning, you recognize that you have that responsibility to him. And having realize that responsibility. Most of you have responded to that. Most of you have obeyed the gospel. You've been immersed for the remission of your sins. You have a new beginning. You see, that's what we want to discuss today. I am created in the beginning last week, but today I am created a new beginning. Because I am created anew as you are as well in Christ, in the image of Christ, fashioned again to be what God always intended me to be. And as we have opportunity, as God's children, we need to respond to that new creation appropriately. We need to fashion. We need to shape. We need to conduct our lives in a way that glorifies God. You don't take something that is new and immediately ruin it again, do you? 
At least you ought not to try to do that. You know, I've known a few people in my life who seemed like every time they got their car out of the body shop, they were in another accident and it was going right back into the body shop. You don't want to ruin what has been made new again, right? So I invite your attention over to Ephesians chapter 4, beginning of verse 17. And I want us to talk about this new life in the first place. This new life that we have in Christ. I know we accept it, but I want us to be reminded of it. So begin in Ephesians chapter 2, and then we'll turn right just a couple pages over to Ephesians chapter 4. But noticing what the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2 to these brethren who have been changed, <coughs> who have been born again. He says regarding their former state, not the current one, but regarding their former state of verse 1, he says, And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. He says, you are alive now, but you were dead. And when you were dead, you were under the control of the devil. And under his control, what did you do? What was your life about? What, what did you live for? He says you really live for one thing and one thing alone. Fulfilling the desires and the lusts of the flesh. He says that's where you were. Living for what you can get today. Let's eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. In fact, when we deny God and we deny our special creation, then what purpose for living really is there? What is really there to motivate us to move and grow and, and to improve, to, to be what God always intended us to be? If there is nothing beyond this life, then it's all vanity of vanity, says the preacher. All is vanity. But Paul says you were dead, but now you are alive. And if you look at verses four through five of this text, he says, God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love, with which he loved us, even when we were dead, made us alive together with Christ. That's a new life we're talking about. That's that change at being made live together with Christ. How? By the grace of God, verse eight. So when we talk about a new life, we're talking about going from death to life by the grace of God in Christ. But not just from death to life by the grace of God in Christ, but from death to life by the cross of Christ. Christ. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Many of you won't have to turn too far in your Bibles, right? Galatians just is right before Ephesians. But Galatians chapter 6, notice verses 14 and 15 here. As Paul is closing out the letter of these churches, he says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but a new creation he says by the cross of Christ, the world has been crucified to me. By the cross of Christ, the world has been crucified to me. So it's not any longer about circumcision or uncircumcision. Those are marks in the flesh, aren't they? But he says it's now a new life. That life that is in Christ, that, that spiritual life. And that's why in chapter five, he talks about the works of the flesh, which is the fruit of the Spirit. That's that contrast. He says, but I have been changed by the cross of Christ. I've been crucified there with it. And now 
I have a new life. You see, I'm changed. I have a new life by the grace of God in Christ, but by the grace of God in Christ through the cross of Christ. When a man encounters the cross, when a lady comes to the feet of, to the foot of that cross and looks up at Jesus's feet dangling there before him, and his arms splayed out, and his his body pierced through, the work being accomplished. When one confronts that in, in, obe in obeying the gospel. You're changed. You really can't live any longer without remembering what you saw there. Remembering what, what you encountered there. When you were face to face with the ugliness of sin and the love of God all in one image. And Paul says, when I remember the cross of Christ, when I reflect upon that, I know this, I was crucified there. When I beheld Jesus hanging there, my life was changed. The world was crucified unto me. How can we continue to live any other way but the new life that God wants us to live? When we see what our old life did to the Son of God. You see, I have a new life. I'm brought from death to life by the grace of God through the cross of Christ. And that happens by water and the Spirit. In John 3, verse 3, Jesus says, Except you're born of water and the Spirit, you should not enter, you should not see the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to explain to Nicodemus, Nicodemus a little bit more regarding the scenario and the situation. But, but most of us are familiar with that text. If you're not, go back and read it. You'll, you'll see what we're talking about. But Jesus lays out these two things there. He says, says, by water and the Spirit, this new birth is going to happen. What's he talking about? What, what does he have in mind? says we must be born again of, of water and the Spirit. Well, look at Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. This, this new birth, this, this new life, water's involved in it. The Spirit of, of God is, is involved in this change that is taking place. But when we look at Romans 6, 3 through 4, we see that the old man dies and the new man lives. Through baptism. He says in verse 3, he says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into his that baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. But baptism, water, there's the water. Says when we were baptized, the old man died. Now we walk in newness of life. And that's the water. Acts 2 and verse 38, which we know well. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. We understand that sin is being taken away. The old man is dying. A new man is being born. Be born of water and the Spirit. But what does Jesus mean when he talks about the Spirit here? Well, Peter gives us an idea of what he has in mind. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1 at verse 23. 
Because Peter writes about us being born again. And he tells us it's according to something very specific here. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, Peter says, Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. If you're going to be born of water and the Spirit, if, if the Spirit of God is going to change you, He's going to change you through the sword of the Spirit, through the instrument upon which He works on the heart, the Word of God. And here is what we see in the New Testament. The apostles and those inspired of God and those taught of God went out. And as they went out, they went out preaching. Now, they, they weren't preaching the philosophies of Athens. They weren't preaching the democratic or republic theory of Rome. They, they, they were not preaching the wisdom of men. In fact, Paul argues very forcefully, doesn't he? In 1 Corinthians chapters 2 and 3, that what they went out preaching was the gospel of Christ, the wisdom of God revealed to man by the Spirit of God. And so as these men and women went out teaching, as they went out sharing with their neighbor the gospel of Christ, what happened was that people were changed. People obeyed it. They were baptized into Christ and had a new life. They were born again of water and the spirit. In fact, if you were to go back to Romans chapter six, you'd see that Paul talks about them obeying from the heart that form of doctrine, which was delivered to them in Romans six at verse seven. So, so here is this new life that we're talking about. It is a new life. We are brought from death to life by the grace of God. Through the cross of Christ. Through the new birth of water and the spirit by the word of God and the waters of baptism. Now when you have that new life, everything is fresh. All of that sin, all of that regret, all of that shame, God says, let me have it. He says, because my son already bore it on that hillside, in his flesh, hanging on that cross. You don't need to bear that anymore. Here is a new life. Here's a clean slate. Here is a fresh beginning in Christ. You're saved. You're redeemed. Your debt is paid. Now we only need that because we were sinners, right? Romans 3.23, Romans 3.10. That's the only reason why we need that. And it all began in the garden with Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, doesn't it? When they partake of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which God had said, don't partake of. And every man thereafter followed in those same steps, sinning. And so we stood in need of a new life, a new life through God because of the sin that was in our life. And God has given us that now. Through His grace, through the cross of Christ, through the teaching of the Spirit and the washing of the water, we are born again. We're renewed. We're restored. To what God always intended us to be. 
those bearing his image in the world of his own making. But if we have a new life, and if we are recreated in a sense to bear forth that image again, then we have to understand that that new life comes with a new lifestyle. It comes with a new way of living. We can't do what we once did. We can't act how we once acted, speak as we once spoke. We can't be the same anymore. Now, I understand that there's growth, there's learning, there's continued instruction in that. Jesus himself included that in the Great Commission, didn't he? When he encouraged the disciples to continue to teach them all things that, that I've commanded you, you've got you to keep that on. I, I realize that. I realize that we're growing day by day. And as Paul said, you know, we haven't arrived yet. Right? I haven't apprehended. I haven't laid hold of eternity yet. And so while the outer man may be perishing, the inner man is renewed day by day. We recognize that. That it's a process. But, but let's be honest. We must not excuse the fault of today as just a part of the process. We can't say, well, I just need more time to grow. If you know it ain't right, don't excuse the wrong. Right? Because you've got a new life. And that new life comes with a new lifestyle. Now that lifestyle in the first place is rooted in the image of God and Jesus. God our Father and Jesus our Savior. Look at Colossians chapter 3. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11, read this with me. He says, and you have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. Now notice, according to the image of him who created him. Renewed in knowledge. How? According to the image of him who created him. Now, have you ever known anyone who restored old motor vehicles? Old, old trucks, cars, anything like that? you ever known anybody who did that kind of thing? You know, if you want to restore a 66 Corvette, all right. Yeah, we're going to go for something nice. You don't pull up a, a, an image of a 1980s era Corvette, do you? It's the wrong thing, isn't it? That, that car was designed and built in a specific way. And if you pull up an image from the, the 80s era, it's, it's just not going to look right, is it? It's not going to work. You know, most of you use modern computers at home, I imagine. You probably have a Windows PC or a Mac. You have some, you know, if you walk up there to that Windows PC that's designed for Windows 10 and you try to load Windows XP on it, you're going to have some problems, right? Or if you take that Windows XP computer and try to put Windows 10 on it, not going to work out so well, does it? It's not designed for you. You're trying to re-image it in the wrong way. The 66 Corvette, man, it looked a certain way. It didn't look like the 80s era. In fact, we ought to be very thankful it didn't look like the 80s era. It had its own look. It's classic. It's notable. There's nothing else, there's nothing else like it. You don't take an old Model T and try to make it look like a modern Ford Fusion or something, do you? They're different. Well, when we're recreated, God, God looks at us and he says, the image I want you to bear is the image I always intended you to bear. You're created as a new man, renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created you. I'm recreating you in my own image again. 
I'm restoring what you were always supposed to be. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free. But Christ is all in all. He says, I'm replacing the identity that you've given yourself. And man, we live in a society that wants to talk so much about identity. And the intersectionality of all these different identities and things. Listen, Christians, our primary concern, our primary identity is Christ. You see, Paul's dealing with the same kind of thing at a different point in time. Where folks are identifying themselves by where they come from, what they speak, how they behave, what their nation is, all these things. He's saying, no, no, no. He's saying, you have a new life. You've been recreated. you got to put off all these ties of the flesh because that's what causes division in the church. And you need to focus on one thing. Christ is all in all. It's about Christ now. We're recreated in the image of God to be the ones who reflect Christ, who show Christ, who live Christ. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but it is Christ who lives in me. Galatians 2 verse 20. You and I are recreated in the image of God to bear the image of Christ. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And notice in verse 24 what Paul says there. He says and that you put on the new man which was created according to God. There's that language again. Created according to God. Fashioned in the image of, we might very well say, God. Now look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And notice verses 14 and 15. He says, For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who should live, live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them. And rose again. He says we judge that if Christ died for all those who live in him. Don't live for themselves any longer. But for him. When we talk about this new lifestyle. That we're called to live. We have to understand that new lifestyle is rooted in the image of our God and our Savior. That's who we're trying to look like. Jesus would say this way. Be perfect even as my father who's in heaven is perfect. That's the image. That's the example. That's the illustration. So if you wanted to figuratively hang a photo on your fridge, say, this is what I want to be like when I grow up spiritually, it would have to be an image of the life of our Savior. Have to be His Word, His teaching, His instruction. It would have to be Him. Because He's the one who showed the Father to us, isn't He? He's the one who showed us exactly who we, were, who we were created to be. So that new lifestyle is rooted in the image of our God and Savior, but it's also rooted in the knowledge and wisdom of God. Did you notice some of that as we went through the text? So we went through a few of these. So turn back to Colossians chapter 3. And look again at verse 10. I, I didn't highlight it, but did you notice it when we read it? He says, and put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge. If you go back to Ephesians chapter 4 again, and beginning at verse 20, Notice what Paul writes. He says, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You see that emphasis? 
on knowledge and wisdom and truth and being renewed in the spirit of your mind. That new lifestyle is rooted in the knowledge and wisdom of God. If I want to be like God, I have to know God. Right? I mean, I mean, that's as simple as one plus one equals two. If I'm going to be like him, I've got to know him. And that knowledge of God that, that we need, is that wisdom of God that we need, Paul identifies it here as being rooted in the truth of God. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is true. John 17, 17, the word of God is true. The word of God is where we find the wisdom. The word of God is where we find the knowledge. When we hear the word, when we obey the word, when we learn the word, then we're equipped to know who we ought to be. You cannot know who you're called to be. You can't know what that new life is meant to look like if you don't spend time in the word learning what it is. And so sometimes Christians say, man, I feel like my life isn't what it ought to be. Sometimes I feel like, I just just don't seem like I'm growing anymore. I, I don't feel like this or that or whatever. Maybe you should stop and look at your study habits. Maybe you and I should should stop and say, well, I'm spending all this time with Netflix and Hulu and whatever else. I'm on my smartphone, on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat. I've got time for all that. But I'm not growing in the Lord. I don't know what the problem is. I can tell you what the problem is. I can tell you what the problem is. You're not seeking the knowledge and wisdom and truth of God. Because your heart's too in love with the things of this world. You don't believe me? Read James chapter 4. The first seven or eight verses of it. Where James says, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Do you know the word translated friendship there is the same root from which we get the idea of a love of friendship? When he used that word friendship, he's saying, do you not know that loving the world, making it your close companion is enmity with God? When we spend all our time enjoying and appreciating and taking in the things of, that, of man, where the wisdom and, and rules of men are, are, are ingrained in our hearts, then don't be surprised when you don't look like God. Because the less time you spend with him, the less likely you are to look like him. And the more time you spend with the world, the more likely you are to look like it. So do yourself a favor. Kill Instagram. Remove Snapchat from your phone. Take take the Facebook app off. Turn off cable news. Stop Netflixing and chilling. And start studying the word of God. Netflix and chill ain't the cool thing. To those who are God's people. It's just not. Don't waste your time on things that don't carry you into eternity. I know the temptation, especially for my my younger crew. Have those earbuds, AirPods, you know, over ear, headphones on, whatever it is that you like. I know the temptation. Have that on. Have that media in your ears. The music, the podcasts, the YouTube videos.
I'm not saying there's not a place for some things. But I'm saying by and large, study after study shows and person after person I know confirms that we're spending a lot more time with the things of the world than we are with the things of the Lord. And it shows in the kingdom of our Lord, in the United States of America in particular, in this day and age. We are creating to have a new lifestyle. That new lifestyle is rooted in the image of God. But the only way we're going to be rooted in the image of God is if we're rooted in the wisdom and knowledge of God that comes through his word. That's the only way. And when we're rooted in the knowledge and wisdom of God, then we'll be rooted in the righteousness and holiness of God. Notice what again Ephesians 4, 24 says. And this time I want us to read verses 17 through 24 again. So we can really capture the strength of what is being said at verse 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past filling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with all, greed, all greediness. He says, they've given themselves over to a life of lust and the fulfilling of the lust of the flesh. That's all they live for. Says their heart is darkened, their mind is dark. Why? Because because they just live it out in the darkness of the world. And when you live and stay in the darkness, all you know is darkness. All you know is darkness. So instead of that, he says, "But you have not so learned Christ. You know that's not how you ought to live. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus." That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lust. He says, you stop pursuing the lust of the flesh. Stop going after all that. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. He says, the identifying mark of someone who has been recreated, has that new life in God, that new lifestyle in God, is that when you see them, you're going to see righteousness and you're going to see holiness. They're going to live rightly toward their God. They're going to live rightly toward their fellow man. They're going to live lives that are separate and distinct, set apart unto God. Holy lives. He says, that's what you see when you see a new man in Christ. That's what you see. He says, so brethren, that's what I need to see in you. He says, I don't want to see you walking like the Gentiles walk. I don't want to walk into the, the church at Ephesus and, and look around and, and start following you guys around the city and see that you, you're just like everybody else. He says, when I see you, when God sees you, he should see someone who is different than the rest of the world around him. He should see someone who is living in righteousness and holiness because that's what the new man is rooted in. He's rooted in righteousness and holiness, not in the lust of the world. So put off those deceitful lusts there, Ephesians 4.22. If you keep reading in Ephesians 4, 25 and following, he gives more detail to what this life looks like. He says, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we're members of one another. Be angry. Do not sin. Let not the sun go down in wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who still, still no longer, rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good that may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. By the way, the word corrupt there, not necessarily talking about cursing. It's a word that was literally used to spoil fruit. 
He says, don't, don't let your language be like spoiled fruit. Any of y'all like spoiled fruit? Y'all like it when it's all moldy and shriveled and stuff? Y'all like it like that? And you like kimchi? I don't know if I'm your friend if you like kimchi. And when you get this stuff that's rotten and moldy, you don't want to touch that, right? And you're like, that's not healthy. That's not good. I don't want to eat that. I don't want to be around. But Paul's talking about language that, that is molded and rotten. It has no benefit. So don't let corrupt language. Don't let language that is useless and vain and empty that has no good to it proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification? You see this contract? That it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And honestly, you could keep reading through chapter 5 because the list continues. Paul begins the new man discussion in chapter 4 and really doesn't end it until the end of the book. Because he goes on to talk about the new man walking in love, the new man walks in light, the new man walks in wisdom. The new man lives rightly in his marriage. The new man knows how to conduct himself toward his children. The new man knows how to conduct himself toward his master. The new man puts on the armor of God so as to fight for God. That's what the new man looks like. The new man doesn't look like the rest of the world. The new man looks like the God who has redeemed him. That is Paul's point. And the same point is made back in Colossians 3. If you go back over there and you can begin at verse 1. Where he says, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. That's what this new man looks like. He says, put to death your members which are on the earth. Verse 5, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 8, put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language. Verse 12, therefore is the elect of God, holy and blood, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, and above all these things, Put on love. See what Paul's saying to us? He's saying the new man looks a certain way. And when you look at your life, you can see whether you're a new man or not. Because you can go to Ephesians 4 and 5. You can go to Colossians 3. You can go to these places and you can see what Paul says that new lifestyle looks like. And then you can look in the mirror and know whether you are that person or not. You can know. It's not complicated, is it? It's really not that complicated. Some of you know, well, well, how do I know I'm, I'm living out the image of God? Just look at this text and see if that's what you look for. Go to that list of the fruit of the Spirit and the works of flesh in Galatians 5 and see which are more common in your life. The works of the flesh or, or the fruit of the Spirit. Go to James' list of the, the things that identify the wisdom that is from below versus the wisdom that is from above at the end of James chapter 3 and, and see which is in your life more. The peace that comes by righteous living from the, by the wisdom of God or the division and envy and self-seeking and destruction that comes to your life from the wisdom that descends from below as earthly, sensual. But there's a funny thread through all of these texts. I hope you noticed it. Every single time Paul's identifying what the world looks like and what the world does he brings it back to the lust, the passions, the desires of the man being unchecked. Being allowed to run among. You see, a new, one who's created new in Christ, the old man is put to death. It ought not be any longer about my will, but thy will be done. 
we sing that song that, that you know, kind of walks through the life of, of seeking to come to Christ. And it starts out talking about, you know, much of me, little of him, and kind of, you know, progresses until, until the end of the song. It's none of me and all of him, right? Maybe one of the song leaders can lead whoever's leading PM service. Maybe I can lead that tonight. I don't know if you know it. Look it up. Maybe you can learn it. It's a beautiful song. But it's a song that reflects this idea we've been talking about. It's about crucifying this flesh in Christ by the grace of God to live in the image of Christ, in the glory of Christ, in the righteousness of Christ, in the holiness of Christ. It's about bearing that image. We're all created in the image of God. Every single one of us. But those, those of us who have obeyed the gospel of Christ, we have been given a new beginning. We've been given a new life. A new life that, that should be identified by a new lifestyle. A new way of living. We shouldn't look like we once did. We shouldn't choose the things that we, we once chose. So, so how do we know if we're changed? Let me make some suggestions for examination as you consider these texts. When I look at my life, do I look more like Christ today than I did yesterday? Than I did the week before? Than I did the month before? Than I did the years before? Do I resemble Christ more today? And I did before. Do, do I hunger and thirst for the knowledge of God through study and time with the Word? Do, do I hunger and thirst for it? You know, when I miss a day of study, do I just feel empty? Do, do I feel empty? Or do you find it easy? Do I find it easy to let it go? A day, two days, three, four, five, maybe a week or more without really opening the word of God over whenever I'm at church, as we say. When I look at my pursuits and passions, when I look at the things that I'm really giving my heart to in earnest seeking, do those things reflect the same passions that God has? Or do they more closely reflect the same passions the rest of the world have? That can be reflected in my bank account. That can be reflected in my calendar. That can be reflected in my watch list on some of those services I mentioned earlier. In fact, many of your phones tell you how much time you spend on what. If you were to pull that up and actually look at it. What would it say about where you're spending your life? Or maybe it would tell us that we're wasting a lot of life when we ought to be redeeming the time. Just some thoughts for examination of ourselves. Ways in which we can look in that mirror and see. When I read about that new life in Ephesians 4, when I read about that new man in Colossians 3, 
when I remember that I'm created anew in Christ in 2 Corinthians 5, do I really see my life in those texts? Do I see someone who not only has a new life, but is living the appropriate lifestyle for it. You know, we sometimes say you can't live like a millionaire on a cashier's salary. Well, you can't live like a Christian following the world's passions. So my brothers and sisters, I want to encourage us all to look in that spiritual mirror. Yes, I am created. I have a new beginning in Christ. Man, that's amazing. But the next question for so many of us needs to be, because we've been around a while now, we've been in Christ for some time. The next question is, am I squandering that new life? Or am I living for my God? If you need to make some changes today, brothers and this is a great time. We're offering an invitation. You can come forward and ask for the prayers of the saints. Man, prayer is powerful. Encouragement is wonderful. The body is helpful. That's available to you. But if one is out there this morning and you've not put on Christ, let me just simply say as we started at the beginning of the sermon, you don't have the new life yet. Because if you're not in Christ, there's only one other place to be, and that is still in sin. Now, you don't have to stay there. You see, the gospel is good news. And the good news is that your Savior has died to save you. But you need to respond to him. And so this morning, if you will put off that old man and put on the new man, if you will die to self and live to Christ, if you will count the cost and choose the Lord, then repent of your sins, confess his sweet name, and be immersed for the remission of those sins today. The choice is yours. The choice is yours. Do you want that new beginning? Will we live worthy of that new beginning? As we stand and sing to encourage you to respond to you. I grew up.